The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome, everybody. If you're listening live, you might be listening in the Seattle area on 1150 AM KKNW or anywhere around the world on Transformation Talk Radio. Or if you're listening after the fact, it might be on ChristineUpchurch.com or one of the 50 different places this podcast ends up. But wherever and whenever you're listening from, we're grateful you joined us here today. And we're going to be talking about something we've never talked about before on the show. And given that we're in like in the seventh year, that says something. Uh, but before I introduce our guest, I want to say hello to the man behind the technology, Mr. Benny Mathers. I like how you put that. That says something. It's like, yeah, our producers are really doing a crack job on getting new material for you after the seven years. <laughs> yes. Which is a compliment in itself. It, it, it is. And um, these days, I'm the one who who right. booking people. That's so it's my like, point. I know. <laughs> And I so miss Peggy Snow. I, you know, I, 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 I had her support for a long time, and you know, she was multitasking with two different jobs, and it got to be too crazy. Um, but I am enjoying getting to take a look at the material that comes in mm-hmm. and say, "Oh, this looks different. This looks interesting." <laughs> and yeah, so I guess it is kind of patting myself on the back, isn't it? Yeah, because it's it's coming from a different angle. Yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. we know what you're looking for, and that's what a producer would do for you. And right. then you know, you bounce out of that. And it's the sort of thing where some of the conversations have been, you know, very similar over mm-hmm. the years. Some people have a different take of, you know, on something, you know, that, that's been a topic we've covered many times. Sure. Um, and they're always interesting conversations, but it's fun to go a different route. Always. But, you know, I tell you, my science brain is going to get stretched with this. Uh-oh. Our guest today is Captain Tom Bunn. He is the author of Panic Free, the 10-day program to end panic, anxiety, and claustrophobia. And it's interesting, his background, let's see, he was in the Air Force, he was the first supersonic jet, jet he flew the first supersonic jet fighter, the F-100, um, he was the captain of an airline, and he was working with them to address flight panic. And he got so curious about that and so interested in helping people get over their fear of flying he ultimately, ultimately became a licensed therapist, and now he's a regular contributor to Psychology Today, and he's written this book, Panic Free. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Captain Tom Bunn. Hi, Tom. Hey, thanks very much, Christine. You know, I'm always fascinated by a person's journey that gets them to, them to a place where they want to share their wisdom, their knowledge. Um, can you share a little bit more detail about your process to get here to writing this book? You know, Christine, when you ask me that, I, I normally would start with talking about being a pilot at Pan Am. But when you asked it, somehow it just flashed back to my mind that this journey really started as a kid. Really? My mom had mental problems. I read all kinds of books on psychology. She was my first client. 
Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that that's really you know, probably there are a lot of people who get into doing therapy as mental health professionals who end up uh, doing it because of their early right. client load. Right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and having to heal uh, your own wounds based on the dysfunction within the family. Yeah. And you know what? You When you try to do it yourself, it, there's a lot of things you can do, but it sure does help to have an expert to guide you through that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of anyway, the, yeah. Um, oh, so, 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 okay. So, it started in childhood, and then, then what? Yeah. Well, I, I joined Pan Am after the Air Force, and uh, one of the pilots at Pan Am had a fear of flying course. Uh-huh. He asked me if I would work with him as a volunteer, and I said, nah, I don't think I want to be around a bunch of crazy people. I'd already had enough of that. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> So he said, no, no, come take a look. So he was doing a course over at Newark, which was nearby. Uh-huh. And um, I was I was amazed. He was right. The, the people who have trouble with flying are very intelligent. They can they can think of a thousand things that could go wrong. Right. <laughs> you have to have intelligence to do that. Yep. And they're very imaginative and creative. So they could take every one of those things they worry about and uh, put it into their mind and uh, cause a lot of, a lot of distress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a pilot, you generally think if people just understand how safe it is, they'll be fine. Uh-huh. But I found very quickly there's a lot more to what we call fear of flying that's not really fear of flying. Mm. It's fear of uh, of crashing psychologically when you're on the plane. Interesting. You see, we feel a lot more comfortable, whether it's in a car or, or whatever, uh-huh. if we're in control. Yeah, of course. And. And then if we're not in control or thinking we can't be sure we're going to maintain control and keep things the way we want them, uh, we'd like to have a way to get out. We'd like mm-hmm. to have a backup of escape. Yep, yep. Airplanes don't let you do that. Right. And and, and, so, and I think about the difference between driving and traffic. Like, you know, many of us drive, you know, several hours a week. We can be distracted. There are a lot of drivers out there who are doing obnoxious things or they are very distracted there is a lot of danger, and yet there's something about having your hands on that steering wheel that makes you feel like, you know, things will probably be okay. Yeah, and, and there's actually a, a good reason for that, and that is that every time you make a decision about what you're going to do to deal with a situation, uh-huh. when you make that commitment, this is what I'm doing, I'm going to hit the brake, turn left, turn right, whatever it is, uh-huh. When you make that decision, you send a signal from the decision-making part of the brain to the part of the brain that ordinarily is sitting there getting ready to release stress hormones. And you tell it, hey, I'm on the case. Stop bothering me. Shut up. Uh-huh. So it, you, you, it stops producing stress hormones when you are in control, provided you're making those decisions. Every time you make a decision, well, it's, it's one more step. Every time you make a decision and commit to it, uh-huh. that's a big difference there. Sure. When you make that commitment, that's when the signal goes to the part of the brain that releases stress hormones and tells it to stop. Fascinating. Well, you know, I think about if, if the fundamental issue typically is not being in control in one way or another. Um, what first comes to mind for me, based on my background, my own inner journey, my own um, uh, journey of, of many clients, I mean, the journey of many clients and, and they're accessing um, psychologists and therapists. I think cognitive therapy, right? That's the route to yeah. go. 
Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about that for panic? Well, cognitive is good stuff. It's just that it's not really suited for panic because when you're in a state of panic, you ain't got no cognition to do cognitive with. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain just goes south on you. Uh-huh. Now, so let me bring in something that, you know, it's not just in panic. It's where you can't think clearly. Uh-huh. Uh, people who do really high-stress jobs where there's life-and-death decisions to be made, like doctors in an emergency room sure. or uh, firemen or policemen, since they can't depend on being able to think under stress, they train. So there's problem A. Here's the procedure, step-by-step uh-huh. for problem A. Here's right. problem B. Here's step-by-step procedure for problem B. Let's do the procedure hands-on. Let's repeat it. Now, when you first learn to drive a car, you had certain procedures you had to do to get the car to go where you wanted it to go and not hit things. Mm-hmm. And you kept working at it. It took a lot of concentration initially. But now you can drive your car and out of an autopilot yeah. and have a conversation at the same time. So what I wanted to bring up is what part of the brain is it that's doing that job for you? It's called unconscious procedural memory. Hmm. Uh, some people may refer to it as muscle memory, but it's where you take a task and you build it in so that you can perform it without really thinking. Uh-huh. So when your brain goes south on you under stress, hopefully you've done enough training that that will kick in and let you take care of the situation you're in. And that's what we are using in this book, Panic Free. We're we're training a part of your brain to be your first responder to stop panic before it can get a foothold. Yeah. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about your program and um you know, the, the, the details behind it is you explain how it's it's like it's the body mind that has been programmed from an early age. So it's really like software that needs to be adjusted and that it's possible yeah. to do that. Yeah. You see, we've got one part of the emotional regulation system that revs us up. We've got another part that calms us down. Uh-huh. And at birth, we don't have any problem with that revving up system. Every baby knows how to scream bloody murder. Sure, yes. Now, but then if you say to the infant, you know, would you calm down? No, it's not going to work. The baby does have the computer, but it doesn't have the software. The baby does have, when I say computer, it has a parasympathetic nervous system, Uh but it doesn't have any way to activate it. So, you know what happens? A caregiver has to activate the child's parasympathetic nervous system. A a caregiver, let's say it's mom, she's got three buttons that she can push (laughs) to operate the child's calming system. And those buttons are actually her. One of them is her face, her soft eyes, attentive, caring, Mm. and signaling that she's not judgmental. Oh, yeah. Secondly, the quality of her voice. She talks to the baby Hey, the baby doesn't understand this language, but it does understand the quality of her voice. That's the second button that she pushes to operate the baby's parasympathetic nervous system, the comic system. Uh And, of course, touch. So face, voice, touch. Those are the three things that will activate the baby's comic system. Uh Same thing is true for us as adults when we're around 
certain people. We're getting a certain amount of calming signals unconsciously from them. Uh Uh, But hopefully we have uh, at least one or two good friends who, when we're with them, they're not judgmental with us. Right, right. And and their face and voice and voice quality and their body language or touch is telling us we don't have to be on guard at all. This is fascinating. We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, um, we're going to talk to Captain Bunn about how our software can get messed up in childhood and some steps we can take to reprogram it so that we don't have the same kind of anxiety or even panic. Stay tuned for more on The Christine Upchurch Show. If you have a sense that you are meant for more, join Heather Allison every third Tuesday at noon Pacific as she explores an ancient, forgotten energy within us and helps us access our original archetypal blueprint. The Golden Path will help you remember the key to unlocking your life, love, success, and magic you were meant for. A key to unlocking your Golden Path. Visit heather-allison.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. How many times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com, and listen to the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific with host Sherry Clark. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. I'm Peggy Snow with another Stellar Reflections Minute. Presence, or what we think of as being fully in the moment, is a key element in the process of healing work. As a practitioner facilitating a session, genuine presence takes us out of our heads where we tend to decide what is and maybe what should be for the client and moves us into direct experience where we're available to witness the person in their wholeness. In this receptive realm, our senses are heightened and expanded, allowing us to perceive what's seeking to unfold and to interact in the moment. There's something profoundly powerful that happens when healing is approached in this simple, pure way. Balance can be restored and healing can take place on multiple levels. If you'd like more information about the services we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com 
or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. I love the fact that you, Benny, love to like find the right <laughs> music that relates to the topic. Oh, I, I do what I can. Uh, I obviously wanted some calming you know, sense to come back from the break. There we don't we want go. to have a sense of panic at all. There we go. Okay. You know, Tom, before the break, you were talking about engaging the parasympathetic nervous system. What is that? Yeah, we could just make it really simple. Think about your car. You want to go faster, you hit the accelerator pedal. You want uh-huh. to go slower, you hit the brake pedal. Uh-huh. The parasympathetic nervous system is our brake pedal. It's it's the system that slows us down. It's activated as we were saying, by those three buttons that, uh, let's say, for an infant, mom pushes, but for you or me, it's a good friend pushes. Uh-huh. It's their face, their quality of their voice, and their touch that activates our calming system. And by the way, this is all unconscious. Stephen Porges is the researcher who discovered this when he was in grad school, that when we are around other people, we pick up signals unconsciously. Uh-huh. We don't know we're sending signals to other people. We don't know that they're sending them to us, but it has an effect on us emotionally. Mm-hmm. If we're getting good signals that we're physically safe and emotionally safe, even better, um, it slows our heart rate and it slows our breathing rate uh-huh. and it causes the gut to relax and do what it's supposed to do to, to support life. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's the braking system. And uh, what happens is that we don't have the software for it when we're born. So Somebody else has got to do the calming for us. Uh-huh. And what happens if they don't do the right kind of calming? Well, what we talk about sometimes in psychology is, is secure attachment and insecure attachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little tricky, but you see, everybody gets attached to other people that uh, we're around. Right, and right. We're, we're tribal. It's important, so, yeah. Yeah. So if we're with a, a person who is, giving us signals that we're really safe with them, uh-huh. then we end up with secure attachment. If we don't get enough of those good signals, we end up with insecure attachment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, to, 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 you know, i tell you, something, something came out a couple of weeks ago that was kind of shocking, and it, it was about attachment and, and what's secure and insecure. A researcher, uh, actually it's a pretty big research study, um, they found that what's needed is for the caregiver, usually it's the mom, but the caregiver needs to respond to the child when the child is upset uh-huh. fully to the point of the child being completely calm and in body contact mm. at least 51% of the time oh, the baby wow. gets upset. Right? Uh-huh. That seems like a pretty low bar. Right. I think that's pretty easy. The thing that was shocking was it said <clears throat> all you've got to do as a caregiver, is scare the baby one time and the game is over. You will never oh. have that child be secure with you. One time. Oh, and I my think, goodness. Oh, like, I know. I mean, does, don't we all lose it once in a while? Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, it, and I guess it's not such a big surprise that about 40% of us don't get what we call secure attachment. Uh-huh. And, and in order to build the software we need, so that instead of having another person calm us, we can calm ourselves. We need to have 
secure attachment. Uh We need to have a secure environment in which to develop this software. So I I think, Tom, about um, how there are many people out there who believe that, you know, when you're trying to teach a baby to sleep through the night, you need to let the baby cry it out. Um, And there are a lot of parents who will shame their children based on their, like, you know, as toddlers or, or, or young children, um, when they're getting emotional, they'll, they'll, they'll shame them based on their, their emotional reactions. How does that yeah. um, hurt the system? Well, according to one of the researchers, uh, Alan Shore, he says that when you put a child in a room to cry it out, uh-huh. and you come back an hour later, the child appears to be asleep. Uh-huh. He says the child is not asleep. Really? He says the child is in a state of dissociated terror. Oh, my goodness. Uh, to put it another way, what's happening is that when we get really revved up, really hyper-aroused, because we've got the pounding heart and rapid breathing and super tense, and we're really upset thinking it's the end of the world, uh-huh. if we don't get relief, we have a bounce-back effect, and we go just the opposite. The heart rate goes way down the breathing rate goes way down. And what we're actually doing is nature is putting us into the state of a very primitive defense system called the immobilization system. Uh In other words, it's making us play dead. Wow. So when we go into that state of playing dead, we are in terror because we can't escape. We are dissociated because this shutdown will work for some creatures that don't have a very big brain. Mm -hmm. But we have a huge brain, and it takes a lot of blood supply to operate it. So when we have this shift to go into the immobilization system, and the blood supply virtually shuts down, it comes very close to shutting down, Mm -hmm. there's just not enough supply to the brain to keep it operating properly. So... A couple of things have happened. You could faint. That's one thing that can happen. Right. You could freeze like the de- a deer in the headlights and become unable to do anything. Uh-huh. That can happen. Or you can just not be able to record what's going on fully and just have little snippets of the episode, in which case you've set up post-traumatic stress disorder, right. which is that situation where you have little snippets of traumatic experiences that don't get stored properly and they just pop up uh-huh. because something triggers them when you're going through your day. Sure. Uh, to give you an example, uh, when I was in grad school at doing uh, my residency at uh, the VA, um, they told us about a client who had been a, in Vietnam. Uh-huh. He was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike, passing New York Airport, a helicopter flew overhead. You know the mm, sound of the helicopter. Sure, yep. So <laughs> he slams on brakes, jumps out of his car, and throws himself into a ditch. Oh, my goodness. He flashed back yeah. to being in Vietnam under sure, fire. Sure. So yeah. when, when you have this, to go back to the thing about putting the child in a room and letting him cry it out, uh-huh. you see this situation where we go into the immobilization system, where we shut down, where we play dead, mm-hmm. where our heart rate goes way down, where our breathing rate. That's not really suitable for humans. But if a child is repeatedly placed into that situation, that becomes one of the things in their repertoire. Right. So instead of just having a panic attack and staying revved up, 
they have a panic attack, start being revved up, and then crash down to being very unrevved and end up with this immobilized state, which is pretty tricky because it can produce post-traumatic stress syndrome. So how would that manifest in adulthood, say? Well, see, what happens in adulthood is that an ordinary memory, as you know, when you're trying to study something, you want to retain it, you may not, it may not be there a year later. Right. A, a, a normal memory, a complete memory, will fade naturally sure. in order to pr- provide more space for what you're learning now. Right. But when you have a fragmented memory, when it comes in just little pieces, it doesn't, it doesn't decay. It just sits there like something on your desktop of your computer that's covered up by something else. Right. When, the, when, I, when, I, when whatever is covering it is taken off the screen, pow, this other thing shows up. Yep. That's what happens with the flashback. Okay. And so a, a, a situation, let's say that you're in that immobilized state where you're kind of playing dead, uh-huh. not that you want to, but that's what nature's making you do. Right. And you're, and you're, you're coming up with, snippets of information. You may have a scene recorded in your mind which has no information about where it's happening, uh-huh. no information about when it's happening, mm-hmm. so there's no time and place involved. So you're walking down the street, something happens that reminds you of this, this memory comes back, and it feels like it's happening now because it doesn't have any time or place information. Uh-huh. So that's what happened with the guy who went down the New Jersey Turnpike. Mm -hmm. He had some memories of being in combat, which were little snippets without time and place. Here he is, years later, the helicopter reminded him Mm -hmm. of being in Vietnam, gives him a snippet of being under fire, and that's all he knows. I'm under fire. Uh He doesn't know where, when, anything, so he just throws himself into the ditch for protection. So that's an extreme case, of course. Um, But what about say, a milder case, like if, if somebody's having an interaction with somebody, does it make them kind of withdraw or sort of shut down emotionally and intellectually? Like what, what, what happens on the, well, the subtler level? Well, I think, what, I think what we're really suggesting is that it's not that uncommon for a parent to put a child in a room and let them cry it out, yep. which, which the parent doesn't realize is doing damage, and people still claim it doesn't do damage. Right, or right. But you put the child in there and you damage them because you're priming their ability to go into an immobilized state. You're mm-hmm. priming their ability to become like a deer frozen in the headlights. Sure. So now, after you've set that up, then life experiences can cause you to go into to a dissociated state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. I know that there are other aspects of the physiology of panic and anxiety And I also know that you've got a great program um, that you've put together. We have to go to a quick break. Stay tuned for more with Captain Tom Bunn. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. Years ago when facing cancer, without any immediate treatment options, I sought healing by making various life changes. For a while, I followed a very restrictive diet. I often found myself obsessing about which foods were good and which ones were bad. Then one day I realized I was consuming foods based on fear fear of not getting well. But I didn't want to make choices out of fear anymore. I decided it was far better for my immune system if I allowed myself to experience the joy that came from, say, eating frozen yogurt, than it was for me to ingest the fear that came from avoiding it. Now, instead of choosing healthy habits based on fear, I try to make choices because they feel right 
and ultimately bring me joy and ease. How many of your healthy habits are really based on fear? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Calling all moms. It's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, and loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power at work, home, and play. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms, helping everyday women create extraordinary lives every Monday at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit VibrantPowerfulMoms.com. Is traditional medicine not working for you? Do you still feel as if your health isn't 100%? Here at the Holistic Medical Center, Dr. Nushin Darvish and the qualified staff look through the dimensions of wellness and start a healing plan prioritized to your needs. Our physicians assess the whole you until complete health is achieved. Get the help you need by visiting drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there. But when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW 1150 a.m. in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I'm talking to the author of Panic Free, the 10-day program to end panic anxiety, and claustrophobia, Captain Tom Bunn. Now, Tom, I'm fascinated by um, what you call sort of the software, the, our, our, our programming that, that occurs from the time we're born and the, the dysfunctional kind of um, programming that can, can cause these things, the panic and the anxiety. Um, and you talked about the immobilization. What are some of the other systems that can, that, where the dysfunction can kind of trigger that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I was thinking maybe we should talk a little bit about how the regulation system gets built so that the child can calm himself or herself down. And, okay. Uh, I think what happens is, when we talked about how the child gets upset and mm-hmm. the mom calms it down. Now, at around 18 months to 24 months, somewhere in there, uh-huh. uh, there's been a lot of brain development. Now the child has developed an ability to anticipate what is going to happen next. Uh So let's say the baby's in one room, mom is in a different room, and the baby gets upset about something and starts to cry. Mm -hmm. And then the child thinks, now wait a minute, I know that this crying usually makes mom show up. So, gee, I think she's going to be here any minute now. Uh And so the child starts imagining seeing her face and hearing her voice and feeling her touch. And the imagination 
of the mom's calming uh-huh. actually activates the calming system. Interesting. Now, so it's, it's if the, the imagination in, is key there then. Okay. Yeah. So, so mom comes in and she finds the baby's okay, but she says, hey, honey, you know, you were just really upset, but now I see you're okay, but I'm here. So, hey, I'd love to give you a hug anyway. So let's do uh-huh. it. Right. She reinforces the child's expectation. If this happens a few times that the child's expectation is reinforced, it becomes a program so that every time the child gets upset, imagines mom, gets calm, uh-huh. and after a while, mom doesn't have to reinforce it anymore. Now, that child has built in the ability to automatically downregulate. Every time they get revved up, every time they get alarmed, they automatically calm down. Uh-huh. Kind of like your cell phone. When your cell phone rings, immediately, when you answer it, it stops making a noise so you can have a conversation. Right. So now what happens for many of us is we're like a cell phone customer where when you answer it, it still rings. Uh-huh. And you still have to have a conversation with all this noise going on. Yeah. It, when we get a shot of stress hormones, we get alarmed, which is what we're supposed to do to pay attention to what's going on. Uh-huh. Some of us quickly downregulate so that we can, in a cool, calm, and collected way, see what's going on. Others of us just stay alarmed. And so now we're having to figure out what's going on in a state of alarm. And we are influenced in our assessment of what's going on by the feelings of alarm. We uh-huh. can think something's wrong when it isn't. Right. So and, let's and look so, at the other possibility. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the baby's crying, expects mom to show up. Mom shows up and she says, hey, whatever. Look, I, I just came rushing in here to take care of you and you're fine. What are you bothering me for? Mm. Stop it. And leaves. The baby's expectation is not reinforced. That child doesn't build a software. In. Right. Right. So there's, it, it, it's kind of like... Um, invalidated their expectation and, and therefore yeah. it doesn't get locked into their, their body-mind yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy just to have, well, I, what comes to mind is a, a friend who was reading the book said, oh yeah, I had, when I was a kid, I had a younger brother born 18 months later. So my mom didn't have time for me. Uh-huh. So she was talking about how her anxiety probably came out of that. In any case, we can build it in now. Okay, and, so how, um, how do we do that? Like I mean, to. if, if yeah, there's the, the software programming it. that's like from day one, um, how yeah. do we, how well, we, do we don't change have to go back around? to childhood. Yeah. So um, do you have a friend? I'm sure you've got a friend who sometimes when you're with them, you feel your guard let down. Of course, yeah. Now, believe believe it or not, I have a lot of clients. I ask that question. They say, "No, I've never had that experience." Oh my goodness! Yeah. So, what's happening when you feel your guard let down? Is the signals from your friend's face, from their voice quality, uh-huh. from their touch, is unconsciously being processed and activates the vagus nerve? Okay. So, what so is the, the vagus, vagus nerve? nerve? Is activate the vagus nerve. That's the nerve that goes to, it's the longest nerve in the, in the body. Mm-hmm. It goes to the, um, to the heart and slows the heart rate down, roughly 20 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. It slows the breathing down, and it goes to the gut to um, cause the, the gut to relax. Okay. Let's, let's kind of look at it the other way. Suppose there's an emergency, something revs us up. Right. In fact, you could, might have just heard an ambulance drive by. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Anyway, let's say there's, there's an emergency and you get revved up because you need to. You need to run or fight, so you've got a higher heart rate, higher breathing rate. Oh, yeah, and your digestion shuts down so that the blood supply from your gut can go to the muscles. That makes sense. See, nature kind of figured it out that if you're about to get eaten by some creature, uh, you're digesting your own food is not going to be so important. It's better right. to take yes. that energy and give you a better shot at escape. So... Uh, let's say the emergency is called off. Well, how do you get back to normal? Uh-huh. The vagus nerve gets stimulated, slows your heart rate back down, slows your breathing rate back down, and goes to the gut and says, hey, we had an emergency a minute ago, but you guys can just go back there in the gut area and do your normal job. Mm-hmm. No problem. And gives you gives your gut the blood supply back. Okay. So let's see, where are we now? So um, we're talking what about if, what we're going to do is talk about how we're going to fix it. Yeah, uh, how we reprogram. You've got that. a person. Yeah, you've got a person who, when you're with them, they give you those signals that you don't need to be on guard at all. Mm-hmm. That's when you see when you feel your guard let down, you know you've got a good person to to use for this procedure we're about to do. Okay. Now, since face, voice, and touch are those three things that will calm you down, let's say that. For the next two or three days, should be enough. Instead of trying to not notice it when you get anxious, instead of trying to push back and, and ignore it, uh-huh. try to turn it around and look for it, see if you can pick it up at the lowest possible level. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you realize that you just got a little bit of stress hormones, imagine your friend just walks into the room says hello to you and comes over and gives you a hug. Mm. So what we're doing is intentionally answering stress with your friend's face, voice, and touch, which will calm you. And if you've done that a few times today and tomorrow the next day, it will become a program so that when you get revved up, you'll get calmed down automatically. Mm -hmm. Initially, you'll have to do it a few times intentionally, but it'll become stored in your unconscious procedural memory and kick in when you need it. Uh-huh. What are some of the other things we can do? Well, what we're doing for panic in areas where you know that you have some vulnerabilities, such as MRIs or bridges or tunnels or high, high places, um, you see, we actually came up with this from doing fear of flying work. People were not getting on the plane because they're afraid of having a panic attack. Uh Took a long time to figure out how to fix this, but, you know, finally did. So now what we do, if there's a situation that we know can trigger you, we take the situation and break it down into as many pieces as you can come up with. For example, if it's an MRI, you're going to have an MRI, you first are going to call and get uh, an appointment. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's item number one. Then the day of your appointment shows up, and then you get in the car. That's item two and three. You drive there. That's item four. You arrive. You get out of the car. You go in. You check in. You go to a room and change your clothing into a robe and go into the room where the MRI is. Uh-huh. You're invited to, would you like to lie down? No, but you do it anyway <laughs> right. and go through the machine. Uh-huh. So anyway, what is maybe, I don't know, 20 steps here probably. And you take each one of those steps as, a, as an individual item and you want to link it two ways. We just talked about linking to your friend's face, voice, and touch. Uh-huh. We want to do that. 
in a moment we'll talk about linking to something else as well. But let's say you're with your friend, and in order to link one of these moments to your friend, you imagine you have a photograph, a little snapshot. Uh-huh. Black and white is good because it's not so real that it bothers you just to think about it. So you imagine that your friend has a photograph of you or someone picking up the phone to call and get an appointment. They're holding it by their face. The safety signals in their face get infused into the phone call. Then you want to link their voice to it because your friend's voice has safety signals. Uh-huh. How do you do it? You hold a corner of the photograph imaginarily. They hold a corner of it. You have a little conversation. Imagine talking about making that reservation. And while you're having that talk, your friend puts their arm around your waist and gives you a hug. Mm. So we've got face, voice, and touch connected to making that call. Then we want to link face, voice, and touch to getting in your car and going there. And item by item, each of those 20 items, whatever how many there are, uh-huh. every one of them needs to be linked to your friend's face and voice and touch to calm you. Now, the other thing is, what about not getting stress hormones in the first place? Right. Nature has it set up for us to produce oxytocin at certain times. And when we produce oxytocin, we can't produce stress hormones. Yeah. So essentially, it shuts down the fear system. And, and how, what are some of the ways we can produce oxytocin? Well, the, the situation that produces the most oxytocin is nursing a child. Mm-hmm. Nature has it figured out that hey, this is going to take a while. What if mom halfway through starts thinking, eh, i got other things I need to do. Right. Gets anxious about it and says, ah, forget about the baby today. No, I'll come back tomorrow. i got to clean the house or uh-huh. go shopping or yeah. watch TV or something. Yeah, no. uh, so nature has figured it out how to give the baby priority over mom's anxieties. When nursing starts, big supply of oxytocin is released all the time. Nursing is continuing. Oxytocin production continues. Mm -hmm. So all of this time, mom can have the thought she needs to do other things. Not going to get any traction because it doesn't have any oomph behind it. No stress hormones to give it any um, any oomph. Um, There's another thing that oxytocin does in addition to shutting the fear system down, and that is it causes bonding. When you pick up a newborn child, mm-hmm. oxytocin is released to cause a bonding experience so that you feel protective of the child. Right, right. Now, here's the one that I think is fun. Um, when males have an orgasm, mm-hmm. we get a big blast of oxytocin, and uh-huh. you know what happens. We get sleepy, and we sure. fall asleep, and you get very annoyed at us, right? <laughs> well, what <laughs> what's going on here is nature is giving the guy the big blast of oxytocin to cause bonding. Ah. You see, nature has it figured out already, in case we didn't, that this activity could mean having a baby. Right. And there's going to be a better shot for the baby if there's two people taking care of it rather than one. So let's see if we can give this guy some oxytocin. Maybe that'll keep him bonded to this partner and stick around. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have to go to another quick break, but um, stay tuned for more in just a few moments. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections, with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. 
to signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is. Sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice, full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. Are you willing to challenge everything you've been taught about life and death? Join Angie Corbett Kuyper on her hit show, Beyond Grief Radio. Redefining loss and grief as Angie shares through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind that creating anything is possible, even in death. Tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information or to listen to past shows, visit AngieCorbettKuyper.com. Have you been seeing numbers like 111 and 222 everywhere you go? Do you feel that the universe may be trying to get your attention, perhaps offering a message of some sort? As it turns out, numerical patterns and certain types of geometry form the very fabric of our reality, from cells under a microscope to the astronomy of our night sky. At Stellar Reflections, we offer special sessions which tap into these patterns, designed specifically to support you on your journey. The 111 and 222 activations are sessions activating new patterns in your energy field, which in turn can help you create new patterns in your life. After just one session with a practitioner, either in person or via distance, clients report gaining greater clarity, becoming more intuitive, and honoring their inner truth as they move forward in their lives. Curious about what these transformational sessions might do for you? Call 425-999-9836 or visit StellarReflections.com. That's StellarReflections.com. Welcome back to the Christine Eptcher Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. Oh, gosh. Um, before I get some of your um, contact information so people can connect with you, I want to finish this conversation about oxytocin. Sounds like it's an amazing hormone that we all need more of. How do we utilize yeah, uh, that well, so, in yeah, the situations yeah, with that, panic and anxiety? Yeah, the, uh, the oxytocin thing is when we produce it, we can't, the fear system shuts down. Uh-huh. And we're saying, you know, nursing a child that does it, uh, holding a newborn child, uh, males that orgasm. Uh, also, sexual foreplay, more, more for females than males, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then how about this one, interacting with your dog? Oh, Why? yeah. Because your dog looks at you like a lover does. You're the only person in the world. I'm totally devoted to you. Good yeah. foreplay, right? Right. You can depend on the dog the next day, of course. Uh, so what what we can do is take one of these moments when oxytocin is produced and link it to this, one of the steps that you're going to be involved with in a in an anxiety-producing situation. We've talked about MRIs. Uh-huh. So you could say, okay, think about... Um, calling up to get your 
appointment for the MRI. And just imagine that you're holding a snapshot of that by your dog's face. Mm -hmm. Or, as you know, guys, when they're being seductive, they always have a picture by their face. So you could just have that picture by your lover's face. Uh Or if you're nursing a child, you know, or have done that, imagine the picture's being held by the the baby's face. So that's how we link up oxytocin production to the situation that we know we're going to be in, which could cause stress hormone release. Mm-hmm. But if we link it to oxytocin production, we prevent the release of stress hormones. Fascinating. Now, um, I, I know that this is important information, and I think most of us have experienced panic or anxiety um, on you know at some point in our lives, and I think many of us can get into this anxiety pattern in general. How can people connect with you and find out more about what it is you offer? Well, um, I have a website for the book called PanicFree.net. Um, you can find the book on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, uh-huh. Just search for Panic Free. Um, and I also have a work with Fear of Flying, of course. And if you can just remember Fear of Flying, uh-huh. go to fearoflying.com, and we have a lot of things that are specific to flying as an anxiety-producing and panic-producing situation. And I'll just throw this in, that every Wednesday night we have an hour of group uh, counseling that's mm-hmm. free. And if you go on the website and look under the uh, heading of Talk and Read, that category, you'll find the information about the phone session. Okay, that phone session, is that under fearofflying.com or panicfree.com? Yeah, it's under fearofflying.com under the Talk and Read uh, category. Okay, great. All righty, so one of the things that I've found so fascinating that you talked about in your book that I've, I've experienced myself is um, sometimes during a, a really stressful event, we can stay calm and then we end up having issues after the fact. You've got a great example in your book about an attorney. Can you share yeah. what, that, what happened and, then, and why we go into that aftermath kind of response? Yeah, well, you know, I was doing a counseling session, and <clears throat> almost all my clients, they overreact to some situation, and, and they talk about they were in this life-threatening situation. So my, you know, I usually take it with a grain of salt. So I was talking to this attorney doing a counseling session, and I said kind of, that almost like a smart aleck, he says, well, have you really been in a life-threatening situation? And he said, yes. And I was expecting him to come up with something that really wasn't. He said, someone came into my office, put a gun to my head. I said, okay, that qualifies. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, okay, okay. So I shifted gears and said, now, okay, so you were in a life-threatening situation. What I want to know is when you were really in the middle of it on a Mm -hmm. scale of zero to ten, how revved up were you? Uh He said, I was at a two. Wow. He said, and I didn't even ask the next question. But then he said, but the next day I came back to work, and and almost immediately I was a basket case. I could do nothing. So Mm -hmm. I went home. I came back to work the day after that, same thing. I couldn't work. But here's here's the difference. The the amygdala, this part of the brain that gives us this shot of stress hormone, with a gun to your head, it gives you what? One shot of stress hormone, the Mm -hmm. same kind of amount of stress hormones, what happened if somebody cuts you off at an intersection? You okay. Know? So it's, yeah, you get a little elevated heart rate, you get an elevated breathing rate, your digestive system shuts down, sends that stuff, that, that blood supply to the muscles. Mm-hmm. But that's that's it. But what happens the next day is instead of when he thinks about the situation, he doesn't think just about one item, the gun to his head. Mm-hmm. First 
first he thinks about the gun to his head, that gives him a shot of stress hormone. Then he thinks, what if the guy had shot me? That gives another shot. Mm-hmm. Then he thinks, I'd be lying here on this rug. He pictures himself lying on the rug, bleeding to death. And then he thinks, maybe somebody's going to find me and put me in an ambulance, mm-hmm. rush him to the hospital. The hospital calls his wife and says, your husband's here. We don't know if he's going to make it, thinking about her reaction. So mm-hmm. one thought after another, after another, after another, just revs him right up to a tent. Yeah. So what, what the principle here is that real life gives us real situations that we get one shot of stress hormones generally. But in anxiety, we can think one thing after another, after another, after another. Yeah. And it revs us up to a higher level, causes us a lot more stress than real life does. That makes sense. We're running out of time, but I want you to quickly talk about, um, just, just quickly give me the statistics, the success via cognitive therapy versus your program. Uh, cognitive therapy, 17% of the people treated by it um, get panic-free. I didn't realize that cognitive wasn't doing a great job. Uh-huh. What we were doing with fear of flying, we were running about 80% success wow. rate with having people control panic um, on the airplane. And so I asked them, well, how many of you no longer panic on the ground either? And uh-huh. almost it was high as, I think it was in the high 60s, who don't panic on the ground, even though we didn't focus on that. So that's why I wrote the book. It's okay, let's focus on the things that happen on the ground, and we can bring that up to at least 80%, maybe higher. That's fabulous. Again, the book is called Panic Free, and it is author Tom Bunn, Captain Bunn. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Christine. Thank you very much, Bernie. Thank you for joining us here today. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.